All right, so this is the, the first day of the rest of our lives. <laughs> this is the first day of our uh, May uh, Center for Spiritual Awareness retreat, uh, online retreat. And so we will continue this week um, talking a little bit more about the Yoga Sutras and Patanjali's guidance on how it is that we can come back into this experience, this um, sensation of our true nature, how we can come to the place where we're able to allow the mind to come calm and clear to, to the mental waves to subside to the place where we can really uh, experience this transcendent, um, have this transcendent experience of pure existence being, of our true nature of our self, with the capital S. So, so Patanjali begins in the first chapter of the Yoga Sutra, which is entitled Samadhi. Samadhi is bringing together of attention, awareness, bringing this together with our essence of being. And when we, when we have this uh, togetherness, when we have this Samadhi, this yoga experience, then he says that the self abides in itself. So that is that we are not distracted. We are not looking at something outside of ourself. We are not defining ourselves in terms of some experience, in terms of some circumstances or events or memories, but rather we exist in the awareness of our true nature, which is whole, complete, perfect already. And so in order to come back to this awareness, this experience, um, there are some uh, guidelines, some guidance that he gives us, some tools that we can use in order to allow the mind to become uh, tranquil, tranquility of thought, peace of mind. And as we're able to allow the mind to become tranquil, to become uh, purified, that is emotionally stable, peaceful, um, unruffled, uh, as we're able to create this condition of tranquility of mind, it then becomes much easier for us to allow our attention to flow within, to become one-pointed, to become centered, and in the process to be able to set the stage to create the environment that will support this transcendental experience, that is where we transcend our normal identification with a limited point of view, and we allow ourselves to really, uh, or, or the process automatically, naturally um, moves into this experience of existence being. And in this experience of existence being, of this experience of our soul nature, our true nature, here everything is uh, complete, perfect. There is nothing to do, nothing to accomplish. There is no future, there's no past, there's no size, there's no location, there is just existence being, perfect, whole. It is, uh, the description of this is sat, chit, ananda. That is sat, being, chitta is the consciousness, and ananda is bliss. So we rest in the bliss of soul awareness, and and this is possible as we're able to create this condition of tranquility in the mind, actually in the field of awareness. So uh, it's not just the mind, and it can be useful to just 
uh, think a little bit uh, in the beginning of the yoga sutras the first the second sutra is um, yoga chitta vritti niroda that is yoga or oneness consciousness or samadhi um, occurs we have this experience when the vrittis the fluctuations in the chitta the field of awareness when these fluctuations subside when they're quieted niroda when they quiet down and subside and the mind is no longer disturbed or the field of awareness is no longer disturbed then we have the opportunity for this experience of yoga or uh, samadhi oneness consciousness and so the field of awareness chitta the field of awareness is comprised of um Ahamkara, that is the I maker, the sense that I am having this experience. I am having this adventure of a lifetime. I am doing this, seeing this, hearing this, thinking this. I, I, I. So this I, this Ahamkara, is the beginning of this expression and this identification. And then, of course, it goes on to Another department, which is the buddhi. Buddhi is intellect, discernment, discrimination. And then uh, the other department is manas or mind. And mind is where the information comes in from the senses and is processed. Where sensations, um, the, the senses, the sense of touch and taste and uh, sight and hearing and smell, all these senses are feeding information into the mind brain and the mind brain then creates uh, an illusion creates this uh, sensation of reality of our experience of reality and our opinions and our ideas about the experience that we're having so so not only do we have the senses feeding us the information and giving us the sensations of life but also uh, in this department of manas our our predilections, our our preferences, our ideas, our attachments, aversions, desires, these are all emerging in manas in this mind. So so the field of awareness is really the mind and the discerning, discriminating aspect, the buddhi, and the sense that I am separate, that I, this ego, this sense that I am doing this, and this I is separate from this larger reality so so the fluctuations in this field of awareness these are the the thoughts that come and go the sensations that come and go the things that disturb tranquility so we can imagine tranquility this is our our essence of being we can imagine this feeling of being as a large immense tranquil lake with no fluctuations, no waves on the surface. It is absolutely perfectly calm. It reflects everything perfectly. It is immense beyond imagination, infinite in every direction. And this immense lake of pure calm beingness is our self. This is the I. The I simply reflects everything in the universe and it reflects it back to this uh, inner sense, this what's called a purusha or the witness, the seer, you know, the, the, the aspect of ourself that signed up for this movie and is enjoying all the amazing twists and turns and plot twists and things that occur. Um, 
you know, this is all happening um, to the observer, to the witness, for the observer, for the witness. So we are kind of the audience to the movie of our life. And so as we're able to try to create this tranquility, this peace of mind, then we become more and more sensitive to, more and more aware of having this experience as the witness, as the seer. So we can be fully engaged in the world and using our, our sense of I am doing this and, and using our sense of discerning and discriminating and allowing the mind to feed us information and to give us pictures and to have uh, predilections, you know, preferences. We can be engaged in all of this activity and at the same time always be grounded in this awareness that I am consciousness, that I am a spiritual being having the adventure of a lifetime, see? So tranquility of mind is very useful in whatever we can do to create or to support this tranquility of mind will also help support our meditation practice and our spiritual awakening. And so uh, when we get a little further into the, the first chapter of the Yoga Sutras, uh, Patanjali talks about some of the, the things that we can do, some of the things we can engage in, some of the ways that we can support purifying the mind, creating tranquility in the field of awareness, and supporting our emotional stability. So how do we do this? He says um, in, the, in the, I think it's the 33rd Sutra, he says we can develop uh, friendship, compassion, joy for the good fortune of others, and dispassion regarding virtue and vice. So this is this is a you know some good coaching on how we can create tranquility of mind. So friendship, we want to be friendly. We want to be friendly with people, to be open, to engage in relationships, um, and in the in engaging in relationships, you know, we share ourselves and they share themselves. We accept. We do not judge. And so we, we find this very harmonious experience of friendship. So friendship can be very useful for helping uh, create tranquility, peace of mind. And compassion, when we have, when we're aware of the suffering of others, when others are miserable um, and uh, having challenges and problems, here we have, we develop compassion. So we have our hearts open and we're compassionate and for the, the ill fortune, the problems that other people are having, <clears throat> other people are having, we open our hearts and we are compassionate and we send them our, you know, our love and our good wishes and our blessings. And if we have an opportunity to help support and contribute, then we do that. Um, and, you know, sometimes there, there are, you know, occasionally uh, cases um, for other people, not for us, but for other people, um, where somebody is really miserable and, and it's like, well, they brought it on themselves and we kind of have this um, idea that they're suffering now because of some karma or because something they did or perhaps somebody has done something to us in the past that was not very kind and now we see their suffering and we sort of go, ah, <laughs> you know. I remember Mr. Davis talking one time about um, some, when he was in high school, somebody had done something to him that was not very kind. It was kind of um, 
challenging and really hurt his feelings. And then later on, this person had uh, misfortune. And Roy said, and I remember just briefly thinking, good for him. You know, I'm glad he got what he, what was he, what he deserved. And then, of course, he immediately thought, well, this is really not a very yogic way to be. So if we want to be, maintain our tranquility, our peace of mind, then we see that everyone is doing the best they can. We acknowledge that. And we and we wish goodwill for everyone, even those who have suffer are suffering, even those who have maybe done things to us in the past, or you know created some transgression or hurt somebody that we know. For everyone, we open our hearts and we go, okay. If I knew the whole backstory, if I knew all the ins and outs of what was happening here, I might have a different opinion. And so it's best to just take the high ground and develop compassion. Understand that every individual is identified with this limited point of view. Not every, but most individuals are identified with this limited point of view. And they think that the character they're playing and its interaction with the circumstances and events around it, they think all that is real and they are completely clueless to the reality that what's real is within and it never changes. It's always perfect, always whole. So we get um, enchanted. We are under, under this spell, under this illusion that these things that are happening out here in the world around us have some independent existence and we react to them and then we become, you know, we, we lose our tranquility, we lose our peace of mind. And in the same way, others get drawn into, get enchanted, are stuck in the drama. And so we can see for them that, you know, it's really, it's really okay. And we can wish them well and see them getting uh, clear and getting better and moving past their suffering. Compassion. And so this, if we, if we wish everyone well, and we wish especially those who are suffering to move past their suffering, then we can maintain our tranquility. And then we want to be joyful for others' good fortune. And again, if from a limited standpoint, if we see others who have, you know, lots of stuff, you know, money and good fortune and things just work out, there can be a tendency to be envious, jealous and say, wow, you know, uh, why not me? You know, what about my part? Or gosh, they really don't deserve that. You know, they just had some really... Um, good luck along the way or something but but we can really develop the ability to to relish the good fortune that others have to be joyful for them to be joyful along with them and and so those who are virtuous those who are you know on the on the sometimes on the spiritual path we have kind there's kind of a, a can be a tendency uh, to have this uh, spiritual one-upsmanship. And so we can see other individuals who appear to be spiritually awake, more spiritually awake than we are. And and we think, gosh, you know, um, I should be doing better. And, and, and we have a little envy or a little jealousy. And so instead, we should be always thinking the best. And we should always be uh, finding this place of joy in our heart for the good fortune and the good experience and the joyful experience of others. So by in this way, we open our heart and we become more attuned and we become tranquil. We have we can maintain our peace of mind.
and and then finally in this sutra he also says um, we can be dispassionate that is dispassionate for uh, with respect to virtue and vice pleasure and pain whatever is happening we kind of maintain this neutral ground neutral point of view and especially for those who are um, you know in our opinion who are sinful who are um, doing things that are really not very nice who are taking advantage of others who are uh, manipulative and you know and we, so we see these individuals and we think they really deserve their comeuppance and we really you know sometimes may uh, intend that they get their you know have their comeuppance the karma comes back and and uh, serves them whatever they're due but this passion says that we we overlook these problems. We overlook the sins. We forgive. We're able to be um, to take the high ground and see that, you know, in circumstances, if circumstances were different, and if I had been walking their path, and if uh, you know, life had served me with what they have been served with, and I may very well be in the same position there. But for the grace of God, go I. And so we can find this place in ourselves where we stop judging, stop being critical, stop always having opinions about what other people should be doing or shouldn't be doing, and rather to see, you know, they're all characters in this divine drama. And so we can maintain our dispassion and not allow ourselves to be pushed off of center to allow our tranquility to be disturbed, this beautiful calm surface of this lake of being to be, you know, jangled and and uh, and disturbed by these ideas and reactions. So dispassionate. So and then he goes on and says another way that we can um, support tranquility, mental tranquility, and purify the mind is with pranayama. So because mental processes the thought process and processes and what's happening in the mental field is deeply interconnected with the breath and so when we breathe intentionally and help to direct our prana this is prana is life force this energy this life force within when we help to direct this to flow freely and to be balanced and harmonized this also supports the tranquility of mind. And so we've talked about this before, but very briefly, uh, when we're breathing, uh, normally we have our breath is primarily going through one nostril, one side or the other for an hour and a half or two hours a day the, um, at a time. And then the energy will switch over to the other side. So we're predominantly breathing through the right nostril or the left nostril. Um, the left nostril is the Ida. The right nostril is the Pingala. And the right nostril is associated with the sympathetic nervous system. So this turns on the sympathetic. This is like the gas pedal. This is energizing, activating, um, and so each time that we're as we breathe through the right nostril, we're activating the left brain, which is more intellectual, rational, figuring it out, you know, goal oriented. Um, so this is happening for a couple hours and then it switches over to the Ida. 
to the left side, which is associated with the right brain. And this is more intuitive, receptive. And this is like the break. So now we have the, the repair and relax uh, response instead of the stimulation. So the parasympathetic nervous system is turned on as we exhale and as we breathe through the left nostril. Each time we inhale, we're actually uh, also turning on, stimulating the sympathetic nervous system. Each time we exhale, we're stimulating the parasympathetic. So there's a larger cycle, two hours, where we're primarily in the sympathetic and then primarily in the parasympathetic. But there's also this uh, smaller cycle with each breath where we are stimulating the sympathetic, stimulating the parasympathetic. So, so as we breathe, we can uh, uh, direct our breath. And the easiest one, the simplest and most effective for creating this tranquility is simply alternate nostril breathing. And alternate nostril breathing is just what it says. We breathe in through one nostril, breathe out through the opposite nostril, breathe in through the one we just breathed out, and then uh, breathe out through the, the through the opposite. So it's so we can close off the the right nostril with the thumb, inhale through the left for say a count of four, then we can hold for a count of four, exhale, uh, close the left and exhale through the right. Hold and then inhale through the right. Hold for another count of four. Exhale through the left. Hold for a count of four. Inhale through the left. Hold for a count of four. Exhale through the right. Hold for a count of four. Inhale through the right. Hold for a count of four. Exhale through the left. And like that. So in this way, we balance the sympathetic and the nervous and the, and the parasympathetic nervous system. So this is very practical. And we allow the prana, the life force, the energy in the body to also move equally through the ida and the pingala, these subtle uh, nadis, these subtle channels, pathways. And when they become completely balanced, it becomes very easy then for this prana, this life force to move through the third uh, central channel in the spinal pathway, this shushumna or the radiant path. And this is uh, uh, not only indicates tranquility of mind, peace of mind, but also helps to support our interiorized meditation. So a simple pranayama like um, alternate nostril breathing can help to calm the mind and relax the physical body and set the stage for, um, for our uh, deeper opportunity for meditation and transcendence. So pranayama helps to support this uh, tranquility of thought, purity of the mind. And then he goes on and says in the next sutra that, um, that we can uh, encourage tranquility of mind through subtle subjective perceptions. That is, uh, on one hand, insights, intuition that comes as a result of 
of looking at the world and looking at our experience of the world. So we, so we are um, perceiving on a more sensitive level um, that which is happening. So subjective means that, that I, the witness, the, the seer, I am the subject and I am having an experience, I am observing. And so as we observe closely, almost anything, as we observe closely, we begin to get some insights and get some uh, deeper understanding with respect to the nature of what we're examining. And so this understanding and this insight can help balance and help create tranquility in the mental field, in the field of awareness. And we can also, from a subjective standpoint, we can uh, so we can we can be become more sensitive to our senses, and so the yogis say that, uh, for example, the sense of smell. We can put our attention, our awareness, at the very tip of the nostril, and just focus on the sense of smell at the very tip of the nostrils, and look for uh, a greater sensitivity, a greater sensation of what that experience of smell, the olfactory sense, is. And by doing this and practicing with this over time, and you know, if we do this for a few minutes, a, a few times a day, and do this for a few days, um, we develop more sensitivity. So this sense of smell becomes more subtle, and our sensitivity to the sense of smell becomes more subtle, and we start to be sen- experiencing sensations and smells that are much, much more subtle than whatever we have in the past. And so in the same way, we can we can kind of develop super senses by just simply paying very close attention to the sensation. What is this sense? Uh, what's the experience of this sense? And uh, become sensitive to uh, my nature as the observer of this and the process of observing and the actual sensation itself. And so with attention now we can create more and more sensitivity and this also can contribute to peace of mind and tranquility and then he goes on and says um, that another thing that will contribute to our tranquility and peace of mind is luminosity of mind that is when the mind is free of sorrow free of passion when the mind becomes very sattvic elevated um, this is a luminous state of mind, and this contributes to our tranquility. And of course, what is it then that is the opposite of this? What will detract from our tranquility is uh, upset, sorrow, grief, remorse, um, and passion. These are, these are unfulfilled desires and, and attachments and aversions. So all these things can really disturb this beautiful luminous state of mind where we are very sattvic, very radiant, very elevated, very clear, and having this, this experience where we feel good, and our sensation, our experience of ourself is pleasant and up and radiant. So, so luminosity of mind uh, also is a contributor of our tranquility, and those things that disturb this luminosity, we can look at those and see about disabling them, dealing with them, handling them so they're no longer distractions and they no longer create the, the ripples and the waves in the field of awareness. So, so if we are 
unhappy, if we're feeling sorry for ourselves, if we're grieving, if we're remorseful, if we have frustrations, uh, all these things we can just notice, wow, this is what's happening and this is disturbing my peace. And so I'm going to start, you know, with whichever one seems to be in front of me right now and I'm going to deal with it. It's, they're all just stories. These, all these ideas, all these sensations, all the things that we tell ourselves, they're just stories. They are ways that we are relating to the world. You know, we relate to others. We are in relationship with our things, in relationship with our environment, in relationship with our our work and our service, in relationship with our uh, our significant others. You know. Um, and the word relationship comes from relate, and relate comes from Latin re-latare. Latare is to carry, re is back, to carry back. So to relate is to carry back, to bring a story to ourselves about what's happening. So on one hand, we have what's happening, the actual circumstance, the event, the whatever the circumstance is. And then we have the story we tell ourselves about what's happening. This is the relationship. This is the re, you know, how we relate. And so, if we if we understand this, um, then we see that the the things that are upsetting us, the things we're grieving about, the the things that create uh, uh, these negative experiences, are just stories that we tell ourselves. And we can change the story. You know the. The news people are doing this all the time. You change the story and you change your experience of reality. And so so we can reframe the story. We can be uh, we can be aware, be sensitive to the fact that what we're perceiving when we wrote this story, when we made this memory, when we had this experience, that we aren't always perceiving everything that's going on. Our our perception is a little bit like horse blinders. You know, we see what we're looking for, we perceive what we're looking for. Um, there's a, a, a very real phenomena called expectation bias. And that is, if we're looking for something, we see all the things that support what we're looking for. And we are not able to see anything that doesn't support what we're looking for. So rather than uh, uh, seeing is believing, you know, to see something makes it real and we believe it. Instead, it's actually the opposite. Believing is seeing. We only see what we believe already, what we already have a resonance for, a listening for. And because of this, a lot of our experiences in the past, that especially the ones that are upsetting to us, may not have been perceived accurately. We may not have been clear and really understanding the big picture when we had this experience. So we can simply go back and decide either to reframe the story or just to, you know, rip those pages out of the book and throw them away and get on with our life. Because our life is happening now in this minute. It's not happening in the past and it's not happening in the future and our expectations about the future. Uh, I think I mentioned this before, but there's this wonderful little quote from Sunru Suzuki who said, we should treat every moment as our last, the last moment. This is it. You know, right now, this moment that we have is the last one. And so if this was your last moment and you knew that, what would you be doing? You know, how would you be 
paying attention? Would you be wallowing in upset from the past and, you know, trying to figure out what was going to happen in the future? Or would you be very sensitive and very open to this minute and this life and what we have right now? So he said, treat every moment as your last. And this is not a rehearsal for something that's coming later. So, so, you know, we can pay attention, we can be alive, be in the moment. And if we do this fully, then we have this luminous mind and we are awake to what's happening right now, appreciating it, fully engaged. And this is, you know, this is what the, the option that we have, what we can do. So, so creating a sattvic, elevating, radiant, clean mind is supportive of this uh of this deeper spiritual process this awakening process and then he goes on and says that we can also help to increase our tranquility help to purify our mind by contemplating the desire free mind what is a mind like that doesn't have desires so both in our own mind, when we're in this place where there's nothing we need, there's no place we need to go, there's nothing we need to do, or just in this beautiful space of being, you know, you go down to the ocean or down, you know, down to the lake or walk in the woods, you do something where you don't have to do anything. There's no purpose. Um, it's called sauntering. When we go out and saunter, this is to follow the sacred path, to be led, to just show up and see where, you know, walk outside the door and see where the path leads today. Um, and so in this way, our, we, with a desire-free mind, we come very clear. We can also contemplate the desire-free minds of saints, you know, of our spiritual masters, and ask ourselves, well, what, you know, what is it like to have that mind? I know uh, my, often when I'm reading Mr. Davis's work, I, 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 I take a moment and I just, I read very carefully and I ask myself, what, what is he trying to say? What, what, what is he really trying to communicate? And of course he was such a master with words and so uh, direct about his communication that I, I would think, well, if he wrote this down, it was important. But what was he thinking? Where was he in consciousness when he said this? What was, you know, what was the inspiration? And so in this way, we can contemplate the minds, the desire-free minds of saints, of enlightened beings, and again, help to, to create this resonance within, in our own consciousness, resonance within our own awareness, when we can, or we can contemplate and get a sense of where uh, these individuals are in consciousness, then our mind can resonates, it can come into harmony with that, and this can help support our tranquility, our peace of mind. So that can be useful. And then Patanjali goes on with the next sutra, and now we're up to, uh, I think it's number 38, and says, uh, we can also contemplate images that come from our dreams or from deep dreamless sleep. So, here are these other states of consciousness. We have the waking state, our normal waking state is a state of consciousness. And then there is sleep with dreams. So we have uh, this kind of next level, which is a shift in consciousness, a shift in awareness, where we become identified with just with what's happening in the, in the uh, chitta, in the field of awareness, but we no longer have the physical component. And then we have this other level of consciousness, which is identified with not being. 
So here we are, conscious, but identified with not being. So this is unconscious. This is a deep, dreamless sleep. And so we can contemplate, Patanjali says we can contemplate the images, the, the things, the experiences that come up for us in dreams. So what is that like? How is that? How does that work? So we can sit with that, contemplate that, and in this way we get insight and we uh, also develop more peace of mind. And we can contemplate deep dreamless sleep. This is the point, pl place where we are uh, identified with not being and examine what that is like. Remember, we're always, we are always aware. There is no time when our awareness is not, and our awareness is always this witness, this viewpoint, which is never affected by what's happening, never affected by the story, never affected by circumstances and events. It's always just the witness. It's like we, you know, we paid our good money and we uh, got our bag of popcorn and we sat down in the movie theater and here we are engaged in this movie and we identify with the characters and uh, we know we have these uh, amazing emotional experiences. We feel uh, scared to death. You know, the 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 heroine is tied to the railroad tra railroad tracks, and the train is coming, steaming toward us, and it seems like she's doomed. And so we're you know white knuckled, hanging onto the seats. And then the next thing, here comes the the good guy, comes racing in on his beautiful white horse, jumps off cuts the bonds, and rescues the fair maiden, and we feel, oh, wow, this is great, and we have this great expanse, and, you know, we're uh, almost giddy with joy, and we have all these experiences, all these emotions that are happening, and at the same time, we know that we're sitting in the movie theater eating the popcorn and watching the movie, and in a very similar way, you know, we are engaged in this uh, movie of a lifetime, and but the but this awareness, this witness that we are, always is the same. It's always the observer, and so so by contemplating these changes in states of consciousness, we become more aware of how this works, and this also helps to purify the mind and to create this uh, deeper level of tranquility. And then Patanjali goes on in the next sutra, and he says, we can also contemplate on anything, any suitable object, whatever it might be, if we contemplate, that is to, to bring this object, this thing before our mind's eye, and to just sit with it, to just allow it to sort of, uh, allow ourselves to sort of become so engrossed, so engaged with this, that everything else falls away. And so, and so for this, it really doesn't matter what we choose. You know, some can uh, like to contemplate or concentrate on a candle, for example, and just focus on the flame. Uh, some individuals, you know, you could uh, focus on your favorite bowl uh, or any object. It doesn't really matter what the object is, as long as we are able to use that object to become completely focused, completely identified, completely one-pointed. And this is the this is the objective of our contemplation. So any any object, whether it's a physical object or whether it's an imaginary object, uh, and the object can be infinity. 
so we can contemplate infinite what is infinite what how does that feel what's the experience of being infinite how, and so we can sit with that and allow that to be the focus of our attention any object Patanjali says can be a suitable object for contemplation and in this way the mind comes clear we're no longer obsessed with the past and the future and the stories and the upsets everything settles down and then we're able to move to the next step to this transcendent level and then finally in this in this section about uh, creating tranquility of thought uh, his final uh, suggestion is that we can also uh, uh, create this by mastering the ability to contemplate on the smallest atom the smallest thing um, or and also the largest the infinity so by focusing on concentrating and contemplating the very smallest and the very largest then we also exert mental control. We are able to, to bring some peace and some tranquility and some direction into the mental field. And so, and so we can contemplate, you know, the smallest. I had actually this weekend, I was uh, contemplating, I was trying to understand why it is that an electron, which has a negative charge, does not immediately crash into the proton at the center of the atom, which has a positive charge. So positive and negative attract each other. And here we have this little negative thing running around the outside of the, the shell around the center of the atom, which has positive, uh, protons and neutrons. And so I'm trying to wrap my head around how does this work, you know, contemplate. And of course, as we, as we look into uh, information about this, we find out that this the simplistic idea, you know, that I got back in the in kindergarten or something that that electrons are like little planets, you know, ro uh, orbiting around the sun. Uh, and this is the way the atom looks, little little electron planets uh, orbiting around the nucleus, around the center. And it's absolutely nothing like that. The electron is a cloud of probabilities and it gets to be amazingly interesting way way above my pay grade but we can contemplate these things we can try to to sort of you know come to a sense of how does this work what's this about and so we can look at the at the smallest the most minute and allow ourselves to contemplate this and then on the other hand we can go to the other extreme and say well here's the universe and the universe is a blossoming out of itself i mean this is amazing and it's and it's unfolding and expressing and it has been for 14 billion 13 and a half billion years you know this is uh, amazing it's amazing that we even know this and that we can know this and that we can understand it and so to wrap our heads around this expansive universe and all the galaxies and and uh, stars and planets and and to contemplate this this also is within our ability within our mind within inside this this uh, field of awareness is the ability to contemplate the smallest the tiniest the largest and everything in between and so so this process also can help to stabilize our mind and to bring some uh, tranquility and some peace and some stability 
So these are all the the guidance that Patanjali gives us, additional guidance on how to create uh, peace of mind, emotional stability, tranquility. So this can be uh, can be useful for us to pay attention to these things and to just go through the little checklist for ourselves and see if we are doing what we can to help support, to create the right environment to support our own peace of mind, our own sattvic experience, and our own stability. And if we find places where we can improve, then then we can focus on improving. So so that's good. That's useful. Uh, so we'll, we have a moment now. If you have any questions, I'll be glad to, to try to answer them. And uh, we'll continue on tomorrow and we'll start to talk about, well, once we have this tranquility of mind, then what happens? You know, what we, what's our... Uh, what's the experience of samadhi? What is the, the objective of our practice? And so we'll be able to look at that a little bit more from Patanjali's uh, point of view. Uh, do we have any questions? No? Okay, good. And we'll continue until about this time. And so between now and when we see you next, be joyful, joy, and remember that uh, every moment uh, we can treat every moment like our last moment, so we want to really appreciate it and get the most out of it. And by the way, I looked up moment one time, and a moment is two and a half minutes, in case that ever comes up. So, so, <laughs> so the next two and a half minutes is, you know, the last moment of your life, so you want to really take advantage of it, enjoy it fully. And so till next time, namaste. I'm sorry. I I do have a question actually. I'm Marianna. Uh-huh. Um I I just uh, a few days ago I read your email um the CSA May 2020 newsletter and there um you mentioned that we have to go we, we have to discard uh, mental uh emotional upsets and also you mentioned spiritual let me see if i can find in the email in order to fully express to have integrity and to live without limitation we must be fully awake and no longer subject to physical mental emotional or spiritual constraints what is that about why spiritual? The oh, other... Why spirit? What yeah. spiritual constraints? Yeah. Well, because because oftentimes uh, we have ideas about what it means to be spiritual. We have uh, con- conceptions and notions sometimes that that don't have anything to do with reality. We have expectations about how we're supposed to be uh, as a spiritual, you know, someone on the spiritual path. What that's supposed to be like. We have these preconceived notions. And sometimes they're just not true, you know. Sometimes we we fall under the under the under the spell, under the enchantment of thinking that we're supposed to be experiencing in certain ways, and and that's not necessarily true. So we have uh, some individuals who are out there and well intentioned, and and uh, you know, bless their hearts, you know, maybe. Uh, having some in some other dimension than what I know, but um, 
but we have individuals talking about all these amazing experiences and you know subtle realms and moving with uh, masters and having conversations on other levels and and all this stuff and and it it can be you know if we're not paying attention we can be very easy to sort of get trapped in this and go well I don't Babaji never came and talked to me. He never sat on my porch and, and hung out for a while and gave me insight, you know, and what am I missing out? You know, where am I making a mistake? How am I not participating fully? And so, and so, you know, we, we can fall into the trap of expecting our spiritual progress to be something that it's not, it's not, uh, it's not true and not realistic. The ideal that's best for us to let go of our expectations, to let go of our ideas about what's supposed to be happening, and instead to allow ourselves to have the experience, you know? So, you know, we, we can't communicate, we, we can't talk about what the experience is. All we can do is set the environment, create the space for this experience to unfold. And to the degree that we're able to let go of our expectations, we can actually move into the real experience to really have um, this awakening, this unfolding. So whatever we think that we're doing here, whatever we think we're supposed to be experiencing, whatever we think is supposed to be happening, at some point we have to let that go in order to have the real experience. Does that, does that make sense? Does that help? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay. Very good. So uh, anything else? All right. Very good. So once again, be joyful and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Namaste.